0: What are the Vedas and what do they have to do with yoga? In today's episode, I'm speaking with professor and practitioner Mons Peru about the scripture roots of yoga. Hello, yogi. Welcome to my podcast. I'm Aiko, and on this show, we explore ways to put spiritual theory into sustainable practice. So, welcome, Man- Monsbro. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. I'm very yes. thank you. I'm very honored to have you here. Would you like to introduce yourself for those who don't know you?
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. I'm, I'm honored that you've asked me to to be thank here you. on this, this program. Um, I'm a, I'm a, a researcher and a teacher in religious studies at a small university here in Finland of academy university but i'm also a yoga practitioner since about uh, 1990 i'm uh, i'm mainly doing bhakti yoga but i've also been doing other styles of of yoga on a more or less on and off basis uh, i'm very interested in yoga philosophy and uh, i've i've published some some translations uh, c- connected with yoga philosophy particularly uh, I've translated Patanjali's uh, Yoga Sutra, both into Finnish and then into to Swedish, my mother tongue.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> I wanted to ask you if you can first explain briefly what the Vedas are and then elaborate on what the relationship is with modern practice of yoga.
1: Mm, thank you. That's That's an excellent question. Because it's not such an easy question to answer. People use the word Veda in very different ways. Uh, sometimes you hear people speaking about uh, Vedic arts or Vedic uh, uh, architecture or Vedic medicine or Vedic heavy metal, Vedic this, Vedic that. So so sometimes the word Vedic is uh, kind of a catch-all term that, that people will use for everything that is somehow connected with the ancient uh, wisdom traditions of India. But generally, when the Indian tradition itself speaks about Vedic, something that is vaidika, to use the Sanskrit word, it means something that is connected with the original four Vedas. So uh, there are are, are four four collections of, of texts. And we shouldn't really call them books because orig- originally they were not books but they were orally transmitted. So they are texts but not writings really. Mm. Uh, so, four, four collections of texts. And just not to make it too simple, these four collections Rig, Yajur, Sama, and Atharva are also subdivided into four uh, different uh, uh, groups. So, we have four texts of four with four, four parts. And these parts are first the, the hymns, the Samhita part, then the Brahmana mm-hmm. part, which deals uh, uh, especially with the, the Vedic rituals. Then there's the Aranyaka books, or the, the forest books for the Vanaprastas, or the recluses. And then there are the Upanishads, which are the, the secret teachings of, of the Vedas. So these four, the hymns, the Brahmanas, the Aranyakas, and Upanishads. These, strictly speaking, constitute the Vedas. And then there are all kinds of texts that come after these, these uh, Vedic texts uh, that you could say are a continuation of the Vedic tradition uh, and the development of, of some Vedic ideas in different directions. And it is here uh, in this kind of secondary literature, or or what in, in Sanskrit is called the smrti or the remembered texts, it is really here that we find the texts that deal with yoga.
0: So, how you think it's related? Because li- like now, in the last hundred years, the yoga has been changed a lot. It became more popular. It uh, became famous in Europe and in us all over the world so how you think it's important the scripture the vedic scripture how they are important
1: yeah i realize i only answered the kind of first part of your question the the first part of the first question but but uh, so thank you for for kind of pointing me in the right direction again Uh, (laughs) yes yoga went through a a huge uh, change in the beginning of the last century the 20th century Mm -hmm. But it's not that yoga didn't change before that. Mm. The first mentions of yoga we find in the, in the Vedic texts, uh, strictly speaking, the Vedic texts and the Upanishads. Uh, in the Upanishads, we find the first definition of yoga as, as the steady control of the senses. We get that in the Katha Upanishad. We get uh, a six-fold uh, practice of yoga. In, the, in in another text and, and so on so, so there are some mentions of yoga in the Upanishads but the yoga of the Bhagavad Gita which is then a little bit kind of forward in, in time from the Upanishads we have new ideas there coming in we have this uh, uh, broadening of what it means to do yoga with karma yoga, jnana yoga the yoga of meditation the yoga of, of of bhakti the yoga of arjuna's despondency and so on so there's a, a widening of what yoga actually means and then of course when we get further down into history we get to to the bhagavata purana for example the bhakti yoga of the bhagavad-gita is quite different from the bhakti yoga of the Bhagavatam. and uh, we eventually we get to the hatha yoga tradition in the middle ages so yoga has never really been static I guess that's my point here, that yoga has always been something that is uh, uh, changing and adapting itself to new historical and geographical and ideological contexts. But what really happens in the beginning of the 20th century is that because of these processes of globalization, modernization, and so on, the changes become so much more rapid. And this is nothing that that has stopped the changes that happened in the beginning of the 20th century they were still quite uh, slow compared to the changes that are going on today where you get new yoga brands and styles mm-hmm. literally like mushrooming up after the <laughs> monsoon rain. Yeah. And, and, and things that were taken for granted in the 20th century may not be so to- today. Like the 20th century yoga is really characterized, for example, by these big gurus, Ayengar, yeah. Bhattabhijoy, Shivananda, and so on. Who are the big gurus today? Today we're living in a, I mean, there are gurus still today, but we don't have this kind of emphasis on these male globe trotting gurus. So, so uh, it's not that a big change happens in the 19, in the twentieth century and then things stay after that, but rather, my point is uh, these uh, changes uh, continue. And this, sorry for being kind of long with my answer here, but no, I think this is please. the point. The reason, the very reason for why uh, I think personally that it's important for modern yogis to go back sometimes and and look at these ancient texts is so that we don't kind of get lost in all these changes, because even though change uh, in many ways is good in the world of yoga, yoga needs to change to survive, to adapt. If, I, if we would be having a conversation here in Sanskrit, not that many people would be listening to yeah. us. So so yoga needs to adapt to its times and and, and, and uh, changing circumstances. But if we don't have anything to kind of hold on to, mm. we might change too much so that we end up with something that doesn't have any connection yeah. to, to anything kind of essential. And that's what I think that the sacred texts really become important. The Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, the Bhagavatam, and the other yogic texts, so that we don't lose our our footing, as it were.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I never thought about actually what you just say. There was a big change like 100 years ago, but the big change is just going on all the time. That's very true. And another important text in this connection is the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali. That you are actually lecturing on uh, on Patreon in Finnish language is that correct?
1: Yes, yes. I have I have a course uh, on Patreon where I I go through the the Yoga Sutra mm. uh, sutra by sutra with, mm. with short short uh, uh, lessons. But I'm also giving giving courses and workshops in in other languages as well as well.
0: I will leave some link on the description for whoever is interested. And it's lucky to speak Finnish. Thank you. <laughs> and um, could you say something about the relationship between the Vedas and the Yoga Sutras?
1: Well, the Yoga Sutra uh, is a text that is, according to most scholars today, probably written around uh, 450 AD. So it's, uh, it's from a, a later time than, than the, the Vedas, uh, even the last part of the Vedas, the Upanishads. But there are many Upanishadic themes that that come up in the Yoga Sutras. Even though the Yoga Sutra, more than being rather than being directly based on the Upanishads, it's more it more comes out of a Samkhya kind of worldview. Samkhya is another of the ancient Indian philosophies. And the Yoga Sutra, from a philosophical point of view, is uh, you could characterize it as a samkhya uh, with with the buddhist terminology i okay. think the scholar Gerald Larson, he he, he he said it like this so so it's it's samkhya philosophy but upgraded by including all kinds of insights from uh, early uh, mahayana buddhist texts so so the, the author of these sutras patanjali he was a person who, who clearly had studied Different yoga traditions in his day. So he 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 knew the Bhagavad Gita, for example. He picks some some things from there. He he knew the Upanishads, uh, but he, he had also studied Buddhist texts. And he also knew, he was also aware of, of Jain practice, Jainism being, of course, another Indian philosophy or religion. And he makes his own kind of synthesis, synthesis of all these sources. And I think he does a great job. He, he this text is really a, an amazing text, both in the ways in which it 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 plumbs the death depths of of our human existence and our human mind, but also in the ways that uh, he creates a very kind of practical and workable way of kind of living this philosophy in our everyday life. So, so I think the Yoga Sutra is. is very interesting, and and even though, even though it's it's kind of a, it's it's mix of philosophy is kind of original and and a little bit quirky, even you could say. Patanjali nevertheless makes sure to position himself within the in a broader sense Vedic world, even though he he. He borrows many things from the Buddhists, particularly uh, language, but but also some practices. He nevertheless takes a distance from the Buddhist idea of the self being just uh, illusory. Illusory. So for Patanjali, there is actually uh, an, an enduring, non-changing self that he usually calls calls the the observer or the seer, the drashtar. So so the same idea that we'll find in the Upanishads or the Atman or the, the enduring self potentially subscribes to a similar idea. And this, of course, is what, from a, a philosophical standpoint, really distinguishes what we today call the Hindu traditions from the Buddhist traditions. That in Buddhism, there's an idea that there's the idea that there's nothing enduring in this world. There's no kind of eternal self. But Patanjali finds it important to kind of retain this idea of the, the eternal, unchanging self. Mm. So in that sense, we could say that he is he's Vedic, if we use the word Vedic in this broad sense.
0: So what's actually the teaching from both scripture that we can actually bring on the, onto the mat and outside the mat? Like what's the core like if you could syn- synthesize this teaching behind
1: well i don't know if i can if i can do that but i can at least i can point out a couple of things uh, one thing that uh, i really like with balandele is uh, how he really from from the very uh, get go of the book emphasizes how yoga is something uh, that uh, we engage in all the time the first sutra in, in Patanjali's uh, text is Atha Yoga Anushasanam, and now uh, the study of yoga. The, the sutra style is a very concise, exact way of writing. You leave out any extra words, all adjectives, choop, throw them away, most verbs, choop, away. So you, just, you end up with this very kind of chiseled, exact, concise text. Hmm. So now the study of yoga, and you could speak about every single word here, what's the meaning of Atha, why he's using the word anushasana, what's the meaning of the prefix Anu, and so on. And they're all they all have some, some importance and they're all chosen with, with a careful deliberation uh, in the background. But if when we get to the next sutra, the second sutra where he defines yoga, he says that yoga is he defines yoga as vritti nirodha or the the cessation or or stopping or destroying of the functions or movements of the mind. So so yoga is for Patanjali, how you're doing yoga, if you're standing on your head or if you're controlling your breath or if you're serving or whatever you're doing, that's not the main thing. Mm. The main thing for Patanjali is what you're trying to do, you're trying to to calm the movements of the mind and fix them on one point or then still them all together. There's two different types of yoga or, or samadhi in the, in the Yoga Sutra. There's plenty of types, but two main types. One Patanjali calls samprajnata samadhi or you could maybe call focused samadhi and the other one is asambrajnata or, or non focused asambrajnata means that there's there's uh, some thinking or some consciousness mental activity that is focused on one point totally focused on that point so much so that you're not even aware of a difference between you and what you're what you're focusing on so a complete absorption into that object that could be the syllable om or or your voice, or whatever. And then the other one, where the mind is completely stilled. And why do we try to attain that through yoga? What's the point of it all? But answers that in the next sutra. drashtu svarupi vastana. Then the seer abides in its own self. This sounds very cryptical, but seer, of course, refers to, to the self, the experiencer. And in our normal day-to-day awareness, what Anjali will say in the following sutras, we're identifying with all these things going through our minds. We're thinking that uh, we're being interviewed, we are talking, we're a man, we're a woman, we're Finnish. we are nervous, we are self-confident, whatever we're identifying with right now. But uh, all of these things are true from Patanjali's perspective, from his kind of philosophical basic understanding, he's a realist. So all of these things that we are identifying with right now, they are in, on, on one level. At one level they're true, but they're temporary. I said that the time I teach religious studies, I might get uh, fired or laid off. Um, uh, my name is Mons now, but I might get bored of this really Swedish difficult name and change my name to Malcolm or or maybe I get bored at being this uh, grumpy old man and instead I become a, a lovely lady and I change my name to, to Mary or whatever. All of these things that I identify with right now they are they're temporary but beyond all of that behind all of that there is a real self It is waiting to be kind of uncovered. And this uncovering, it doesn't happen through what I'm doing or what I'm thinking, but it happens in the opposite way. by clearing away all of that. Stopping thinking, stopping doing, and letting it kind of uh, come out. But doing that, as Patanjali will uh, describe in in the rest of the book then, how you kind of get to this stage of, of, of yoga where where the self has a chance to to come out, that's not so easy. And that takes also some doing. So there's a a kind of a paradox here between yoga as being a state where the mind is completely stilled. But in order to still the mind, you also need to do some things. So yoga is both uh, a goal and a process or a path. So my point in maybe being a little bit uh, verbose here uh, has been to, to kind of show you that according to Patanjali, yoga is not so much about having a yoga mat or, or an, uh, uh, being able to do amazing postures or, or something like that. All of that can be good and great. But he's actually speaking about something larger, something that pertains to all of the things that we're doing throughout our days. So we can eat in a yogic way, we can sleep in a yogic way. We can spend time with our loved ones in a yogic way. We can do all of the things that we're doing right now, but we can kind of change the way we're doing it. My, my own teacher, Swami Bhaktivedanta Tukurari, he likes to say that uh, yoga is about changing your conception of the world rather than so much changing what you're doing. So you need to kind of, and this is, it sounds like a big thing, and it is a huge thing, changing the whole way you see the world.
0: From inside.
1: Yes, from inside. It's not something that somebody can force on you, like, Aiko, now you need to do like this, you have to think like this. It can be good to be pushed sometimes and and get encouragement, but Mm -hmm. really we are the ones that need to do these things.
0: Yeah, that's very beautiful. And I think it's also very, very difficult. But, <laughs> but you know, we have to hear this. It's so important, like you said at the beginning, to to see where's the root of yoga. It's okay, the changing, the change is fine. But don't forget where where it started.
1: Yeah, I like to think of of yoga as uh, as as a map, like a, the map in a mall. My my daughter, she is twelve, and she likes. There's this one store, I'm sure you have it over there where you're staying also, Tiger, Tiger of a Copenhagen. Oh. Do you know that store?
0: No, actually no. <laughs> okay, anyway, but
1: it, it's one of these, These. it's a big chain mm-hmm. where you get all these like uh, small plastic things really cheaply, like for one euro oh. you can get something. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. And
1: uh, they have the everywhere, it's a Danish company. And uh, if we would go to a new mall that we haven't been to before, mm. that would be fun for her. And and uh, she would like to go to different places, maybe H&M, Zara, places like that. But she would also like to go to Tiger. Mm. So then we would have to check the the map of the mall, and and we look and aha, 318. That's Tiger. So then we'd have to check on the on the map where is 318? Probably third floor. And how okay, it's there. It's to the right of the of the escalator. But there's one more thing we need to know. To find our way to tiger. Where are are you? Exactly. Where are you? And yoga philosophy, Patanjali, and all these other amazing texts about yoga, they can teach us both of these things. Where do you want to go? What's your tiger? And where are you right now? And sometimes the latter thing can feel kind of even uh, discouraging. Like, whoa, I'm supposed to be completely free from lust, anger, greed. And I'm this totally lusty and angry and greedy person how can I engage in this but uh, when you look back at your path, sometime afterwards you can see maybe some small progress has actually happened yes definitely yeah. all these vices may be in me still but maybe I've actually taken a couple of stages in the right direction and if I if I find that uh, I've taken some steps but I seem to have been taking them in the wrong direction. I've just become more self-preoccupied and more ignorant. Then maybe I'm not doing things in the right way.
0: Yeah, that is very beautiful, Said. Thank you very much. And I definitely want to hear more from you. So hopefully we can do this again in the future.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much, Aiko. This was a great pleasure for me. Thank you for having me. And I, I hope that we can... We can meet soon again and, and hopefully in real life as well.
0: Yeah, that will be great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I hope this episode fulfilled its purpose of inspiring you. If you like it, feel free to share it, give a review or a rating, subscribe. And if you have any questions, please get in touch at aikoyogareiki.com. Namaste.